I want to get married. I want to have kids. And I know it's never going to happen because I'm not attracted to men that way because I think I might be gay. In today's culture, sexual orientation is completely assumed to be part of our core identity. As long as a relationship is consensual, it's right and good. Love is love, right? But what does the Bible say? Why did God create sex and sexuality and relationships in the first place? Oftentimes, those who find themselves attracted to the same sex are either told God wants them to embrace those desires and that they can be an openly gay Christian or they're told that they are inherently broken and an abomination. Tonight, we hear Becca's story. Uh, Becca, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Welcome to my show, I guess, if you want to call it. I feel a little, uh, I'm not popular enough to call this a show, but either way, welcome. Hey, when you have a show, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of listeners. It's still a show. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate yeah. that. So... <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, um, well, I currently live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, which is where I was actually born and raised. I've nice. moved away and, and come back three times now. So um, I, I tease about that being kind of the ongoing battle with the Lord that I want to go other places and he always brings me back home. So mm. <laughs> um, get to have that that opportunity to um to spend some time here with, with family and friends. And that's always a good thing. Yes. Um, but born and raised here, my dad and my grandfather were both Southern Baptist ministers here in Chattanooga. And so okay. grew up fully in the Southern Southern Baptist church. Hmm. So sometimes I feel like I have to distinguish that I'm like in the South Southern Baptist so that you understand kind of the, the cultural yes. context that comes with that. Yes, but, that's um, very important. Thank yeah. You. And so very, and we grew up, my dad was a pastor at a small rural um, country church. And so anything that people could imagine that is that stereotypical Southern culture in the 80s uh, mm-hmm. was really what I grew up around. And so from a very early age, I knew that I saw the world differently and that I experienced the world differently from other people. But uh, it really wasn't until high school that I had kind of the language to put words to it. Um, I knew that I was drawn to women, um, felt a need to have deeper relationships with them. Um, But of course that wasn't, I mean, it doesn't become sexualized for anyone. I don't think until, you know, you hit puberty and that becomes an issue. So that in middle school, I began to recognize that the, the feelings and the attractions and the confusion and the curiosity that I had wasn't always necessarily directed towards the boys, the way it was for most of my friends. Right. Right. Um, but also was aware enough just from conversations you hear people talking about and things that were going on in the world at that time. Um, you know, growing up in the late 80s, the whispers you get from the evening news of HIV and AIDS patients mm-hmm. and um, the those sorts of issues. Um, all I ever heard was the negative and the bad 
uh, heard people just using uh, derogatory terms for mm. gay people. Um, and for a kid, you know, um, just starting to hit puberty, 12, 13 years old. And that's all that you've ever heard um, yeah. about people that love people of the same sex. It was immediately this is wrong and it's bad and terrible things happen to you if this is the life that you live and you're an abomination mm -hmm. you know the only type of anything you heard about gay people even connected to church was that they're an abomination and god hates them and so having that as the only context for people that describe themselves as homosexual or as gay um that was just not a thought that i would even entertain it was, mm -hmm. I was, you know, the good Christian preacher's kid who knew all the right answers and, and went to GAs and did camp and summer camp and all these, you know, Baptist as Baptist could be kind of things. And was like, you know, that, that is not an option because I do the right things and that is not right. And mm -hmm. so that's just not an option. Um, but ignoring it, it never went away. Right. <laughs> so yeah. It just, it was one of those that like when you, anything that you try to ignore, um, it, it ends up becoming bigger. It's like the boogeyman in the closet. You know I mean? If you don't yes. just get it out and deal with it, it ends up becoming huge and overwhelming so that by the time I was in high school and early college, um, I was terrified of any sort of interest in being friends with, Aww. um people of the same sex well if i'm attracted to you then maybe maybe there is something wrong with me and so it really set up um just unhealthy relational boundaries in general that had nothing to sure. do with sexual attraction um wow. but just based in fear of if that could possibly be where that might end up then i'm just not going to do that at all so mm. and it was always really ironic because like i wanted to be able to have those friendships but I was afraid of what might happen that I couldn't control whatever it was. And so like I went to an all girls high school, so I was surrounded by women all the time. Hmm, and then wow. when I went to college, I pledged a sorority because that's what I was comfortable with, but I didn't know what to do with it. So it, it was just this like contradicting kind of chaos all the time that wow. I began to realize this is not going away. And I don't know how to talk about it with people. Um, so I just kind of dealt with it um, until I transferred to a different college, um, responded to what I felt was just an undeniable call to ministry mm -hmm. and transferred from a state school to a private Baptist college. And uh, when I was there, um, met a girl that I thought, I, OK, now I understand. <laughs> like, now okay. I know what's wrong with me just unbelievably drawn to this this girl that lived on the hall with me at this my my baptist bible college um and it it was like that i i can't help what's happening here it was you know it it was that stereotypical i've fallen and there's nothing that i can do about this and it was a whirlwind kind of connection relationship that we went from never having seen one another to being inseparable in a matter of days to being roommates second semester to being together as a couple by February. Like it was quick. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, so I ended it. Do what? I was going to say, yeah. So 
obviously you were in a relationship. So I assume at what point, and maybe you'll get there. So excuse me if I'm asking too early, but at what point did you, did you go from identifying, okay, I'm attracted to this woman in a romantic way to I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to actually enter into a relationship. Can you talk about that? Or will you talk about that and explain that? Cause I assume there was a battle. Maybe it was short, but some battle within your heart because of what you've been told growing up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah. And yeah, it was that. one of those that it was like it was several months of of an internal battle of I I want I want to be closer to this person. I want to know everything. I want to be a part. And it still wasn't necessarily sexualized. Hmm. It was just I I want to know mm. and to be a part of as much as I possibly can with yes. this one person. Yes, until, that makes sense. Yeah, until it became sexualized. And then it was, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it, it was like it just right. sort of happened. And like before that, I never understood. And I always thought that's such a cop out. That's such an excuse. But it really was that sudden and that casual of just spending all of our time together to mm-hmm. one morning walking out the door to go to class and she kissed me and it was like this most normal thing and I walked out the door and went to class and was like what just happened mm-hmm. and then wow. it was at right. a bible college well, right at a yeah. bible college exactly i was like okay so that's how you go to the next level with a friendship which is that deceit that we get in our culture that there's a progression that there's only one type of relationships for people and that friendships are limited and the way to take any sort of relationship this, to the next level is to have it sexualized And so that was a huge part of the deceit that I had to work through was understanding that a sexual relationship isn't the next level of a friendship. (laughs) They're they're completely different things on completely different tracks. But at the time, that's that seemed, according to the world and in a lot of ways, even in the church, that that's how that was supposed to work. You know, you hear that well, you're supposed to marry your best friend and then it becomes a sexual relationship that was like, well, what if my best friend is a person of the same sex like how do Mm -hmm. I show them how much I love them and Mm -hmm. that was what we believed was like this is this is what you do and so we ended up in a relationship for almost two years wow um that ended up being this consistent conviction coupled with I have everything (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I'm here studying to serve God Um, I was at a school that was very egalitarian at the time. So I was in a religion department that was encouraging me to pursue preaching and theological study right alongside the guys. And so they'd send me out when they had pulpit supply um, from local churches. When they'd send the guys out, they sent me. I was in the rotation with the guys and my girlfriend would go sit with me on the front row and I would preach at Baptist churches and would, would talk with people. And it was like. I literally have everything. Becca goes on to share that although she felt she had everything, a fulfilling relationship, opportunities to serve the Lord in college and in churches, and supportive friends, she kept having a nagging feeling that something wasn't right. 
She now knows it was the Holy Spirit convicting her. A struggle for a lot of people who tend to have this stereotypical picture of homosexuality that when they think about gay people, they think like San Francisco in the 70s. <laughs> that it's just uh-huh. debauched promiscuity, you you know, drug use, just bottomed out partying. Um, and that's what they think of when they think homosexual lifestyle. And mm-hmm. for me, it was one person in a Christian environment where we went to church together, we prayed together, we did Bible studies together. And so it wasn't that God was going to have to save me out of this bottomless pit of endless sin. It was, you think that you have found contentment and you think you have enough, but if I am enough, will you give up this thing that you think is good Mm-hmm. in order to be obedient to me. And so, yeah, it, it ended up just being this back and forth and back and forth until it was time for me to graduate. And I realized that I had kind of come to that point, you know, like Joshua has with the Israelites of choose this day who you're going to serve, that mm-hmm. I could either stay where I was and have to explain to everyone why I was staying, or I was going to have to break things off and move on to the next phase of life. And the thing that continued to come back to me was um, I just can't see how it's right for me to give up everything I've known for one person like that. That ended up becoming the initial tripping up point for me that I was convinced um, whether it was true or not. I was convinced at the time that if I stayed in this relationship and told people who I was and what I was doing and why I was staying, that I would lose every relationship. You know, I might damage my dad's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be able to go into ministry, even though I had been trained in this place. I would have to, I would have to leave the entire cultural church that I knew. And I just didn't see how that, if this is good, why I'm going to have to give up all these other good things. And so that was, that was the way the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit really kind of broke in with me of this just doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. So I moved back to Chattanooga and spent the next year doing what I'd basically done before of trying to put it in a closet, put it away. Kind of a bad. I know what you mean. Basically. Yeah. Going back in the closet was pretty much what I did. Were y'all still seeing each other? You and this lady? Um, We, we would, it was kind of off and on from that point because it became a very strained relationship um, simply because I I was so convicted about things that eventually I broke things off and said, I I cannot, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Um, And didn't know what else to do with it. So there were, there were many years that, that we didn't speak at all because I was like, I I just, I can't, it's too much. It's too painful. I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was about the time that, that I cut off our relationship from that perspective. And then I had a friend um, that I began seeing, I was going to have like this another round of being drawn to friendship with a woman and going, I know where this leads. Leads. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. I've been here before and I don't want any part of that again, but I don't know how to make it stop. And finally Mm -hmm. said something to a friend of mine of, 
I just want to be normal. I want to get married. I want to have kids. And I know it's never going to happen because I'm not attracted to men that way because I think I might be gay. Mm, And this was after having spent two years in a relationship with a woman that during Right. And you're just now saying this to yourself. Wow. Exactly. Like we never, I mean, people even asked us and we were like, no, I'm not, I'm not gay. I just, I, I love her. I'm not attracted to women. Like it, it, it was never, that was not language or identifying anything that we would have used. Okay. And, um, and so I finally shared with this friend and she took me to, an office of a group that um, dealt with just sexual brokenness in general for believers. And I ended up spending about a year and a half working with them in just uh, discipleship counseling of untangling those healthy, unhealthy relational issues that I had finding those points of deceit that had been in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Really just going through that, taking thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. Right. that I, I would say something and my counselor would go, huh, is that so? Where, where did you find that in scripture? You know, like where did, where does Jesus talk about that? And then I'd have to spend the next two weeks, like reading through the Bible to try to find where, and then I'd be like, well, that's another one of those things that I believe. That wasn't oh, true. Wow. Yeah. And so really untangling all of those sorts of things so that once I began to realize how to, how to have healthy friendships, how to not end up in codependent relationships or to have unhealthy boundaries with people. I thought, oh, well, the same sex attraction thing is, I mean, it's, it's fixed itself. Like this isn't going to be a problem anymore. Hmm. And so really saying the praises of kind of the ex gay thing of, I went through all of this. I've been transformed. I'm no longer unhealthily drawn to women. Um, even worked with Exodus International for a while. Um, I yeah. taught workshops for them and really um, just embraced that idea of that's a part of my past hmm. until I just started living life and realized I may have an understanding of healthy boundaries and I'm not overcome with lust. I am content in the relationships that God has me in with the people around me, the needs that I was attempting to meet in that relationship with that woman are being met in healthy ways by my church family. And I had all this stuff lined up of being really healthy and content and still realizing that I wasn't any more attracted to men and was still just as default attracted to women um, of recognizing this still isn't going away. Now is a good time to make very clear that sexual orientation is never once mentioned or even hinted at in Scripture. For example, the Bible addresses same-sex relationships in several passages, which many times people attempt to explain away because it's in the Old Testament. But one of the clearest passages we have is found in the New Testament in Romans 1. This chapter explicitly states that same-sex consensual relationships are wrong. In short, Scripture is concerned not about our orientation, but our obedience. Those desires may be in our hearts, but it's not those desires that inherently condemn us. So what do you do if those desires never go away? Becca continues. I'm 
doing all the right things. I'm loving Jesus as much as I can. I'm walking in obedience as much as I can. And this still isn't going away. Right. What, what else am I supposed to do? And so it really, because of that misunderstanding of if I'm following an obedience and it, it really is a form of prosperity gospel that I've realized just in the last couple of years that I had this idea of if I do the right things and I walk in obedience, then God will take this from me. Hmm. Um, because that's what I saw so often in the church. And those are the testimonies that were platformed was people were gay. They surrendered to obedience to Christ. They got married and then they wrote a book about how they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, I'm doing the right things and this still isn't happening. So I must be doing something wrong. Wrong. And Mm. it really stalled out my spiritual growth. Um, it, It stalled out my ability to minister for the Lord because I began to think if I can't get this fixed and changed, then I am not in a place that I'll be able to serve Jesus. Hmm. And um, that it had gotten to a point of thinking, I'm just going to give up on this, you know, like God's God's grace is enough that he understands that I am doing everything that I can. I am asking for his help. I'm surrendering to his power and this still isn't going away. So either he must not want it to go away or I'm mm. just not strong enough mm. and he'll understand. Wow. And wow. the thing that's been so sad about it for me is that I have seen so many of my friends who ended up having the same idea that ended up going on an affirming route of I want to be in church. I want to love God this thing has beaten me and theologically I may be wrong, but I don't know what else to do because it's not good enough for the church. It's not good enough for whatever. So I'm just going to follow this path because if it's wrong, I think God will understand. And if it's right, then at least I'm going the right direction Mm -hmm. and end up in same sex relationships and same sex marriages because Mm -hmm. they don't see any other option. And we often, and again, I want, I'm sure you'll address this, but I want to make sure we address too, that I think the churches need, need to do a better job of going through scripture and giving us a theology of sex and relationships and even the desires that, you know, sin has in our bodies. You know, my husband will tell you that he, before he came to Christ, he really struggled with being a compulsive liar. He will say that. He said he would just lie over things that didn't make any sense. He had no reason to lie. There was literally no benefit. It wasn't like he was trying to get out of trouble. He just lied. And so he still, there are certain circumstances, even now after being a Christian for many, many, many years, he'll say, I am tempted to lie in these certain circumstances. You know, if this has happened or this has happened, but I would never call him a liar as part of his identity. His identity is in Christ. He struggles with that sin. He has to put it to death daily. Sometimes we all are called to do that with our sin. But what if he said, well, I just can't help it. I'm just going to embrace my life as a liar. You know what I mean? And so, but we're not taught that we're not taught that at all. And so, um, yeah, would you say that 
well, I'm sure you would, that if you had been taught things a little better from the pulpit, even as a little girl, you know, uh, that you probably would have not had such an inner battle and inner turmoil as you went through all this. If you had had, if you had heard things other than it's an abomination, if you have those desires, you're inherently broken, you're going to hell. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just this, it seems like such a simple thing now. And I know at the time it wouldn't have been, but just saying God doesn't give us an out based on our desires because our desires are broken. It's part of our mm. fallen nature. But yes. here's how you are obedient regardless mm. of your desires. And I think that's why scripture doesn't talk about orientation or attractions or whatever we might use in modern terms right um, because it it didn't those things didn't matter and right to to the postmodern ear that sounds very harsh well of course my personal feelings and attractions matter um really before <laughs> before the 1960s in america i mean we have to be very specific in our context um your individual thoughts and feelings didn't matter. We were a right. very communal species. Oh, <laughs> yes. And in many cultures, that's still the case. That's exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and so you would see, um, you know, people talk about this, the homosexuality or even issues with transgender um, situations that there's this sudden increase in the number of people. It's really just a sudden increase in people talking about it. Like mm -hmm. gay people, have always been around. It was right. just, you didn't talk about it. You didn't discuss it. You didn't express it because in right. culture and in society, these were the things that were expected of you. And right. so people just quietly dealt with whatever their internal struggles were. Yeah. Um, they just, they didn't talk about it. Right. And so being in a social media driven, um, postmodern, post-Christian environment, puts Christians today, especially in a very different context so yes. that people are talking about every little thing of how <laughs> they are attracted and what they're experiencing. And they think that everything has to be shared with everyone. And so you yeah. suddenly <laughs> have <laughs> this onslaught of opinions and options and here are all these things going on um, that help with self-understanding but mm -hmm. don't necessarily help with discipleship because the church hasn't kept up with that now you are exactly right on that you're exactly right on that yeah. and so i hope from yeah, this that people store. listening yeah. we, we can do a better job in the church you know if yeah we, we need to know how to be biblically wise during these times and so yeah i i hear what you're saying yeah, um, when, when you have a, a middle schooler that says, you know, I'm I'm aromantic pansexual and an yes. adult is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right. Instead what of just saying you're in <laughs> sin, your, your question ought to be, you know, those are really new terms. Why don't you explain to me what you mean by that? Yes. And then here's what scripture has to say about sex and sexuality. Yes. Um, and say, 
it's not qualified by who you're attracted to or what you're attracted to or how many people you're attracted to. It says, if you are a human following Christ, this is how you steward your sexuality. Mm, amen. And so that that's for heterosexual people. That's for homosexual people. That's for bisexual people. That's for people who aren't attracted sexually to people that there's not a different set of ethics mm, for yes. every person. It's here's the set of ethics that God asks us to work with. And yes. if what we believe about ourselves or what we experience doesn't fit in with that, then that's a conversation you need to have with the Lord about it. Mm. Um, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that are attracted to the same sex who submit that that attraction is not God's plan for human sexuality mm -hmm. and are married to people of the opposite sex because right. they are choosing to steward their sexuality in a way that is obedient to God. Yes. And you, go ahead. Just that that doesn't deny your humanity or your personhood. Right. Um, that's another one of those, those lies that I had to work through is that my sexuality is my primary identity. And if I'm not with someone of the same sex, I'm somehow denying my true self or yes. not living my honest experience. Um, and yeah, how do you, how do you handle that? Or what do you say when you, when someone says that to you, or maybe they're not saying it directly to you, but what would be your, uh, your advice, you know, your outlook on that when somebody says, well, look, you're Becca, you are denying who you really are. You can't actually be happy. You are living, you know, under a rock. You're just, you must be having some subpar existence. Exactly. How do yeah, you handle I, that? I hear that. I hear that a lot. And I used to hear that from students when, when I taught that they were so sad that I was never going to have that one person to experience true love because I was walking in obedience to the Lord. And I was like, that is such a Disney princess <laughs> cultural, secular version of mm. love mm. Um, that it, it reminds me of uh, the C.S. Lewis quote about humanity being far too easily pleased that yes. will will play in in mud puddles, missing the holiday right. at sea that's yes. just over the hill of what we are looking for. And mm. and I think if the church as well as well, I mean, really just primarily, especially the church would put sex and sexuality in its proper place theologically of saying yes. this is just a picture of what is to come. Mm. Um, this is yes. just a, a dim mirror of our relationship as the church with Christ. Um, yes. mm. And would not see it as the be all end all, but really that those who are, um, I have a friend that describes it, that those who are choosing to live celibate lives in obedience to Christ are looking beyond the picture of what marriage and sex is here on earth and are looking forward to the consummation of the actual relationship in mm -hmm. eternity with Christ. What is this picture that marriage and sex are ultimately pointing to? In Ephesians 5, 
Paul is addressing how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. He then quotes Genesis 2.24, where God states this unique, one flesh, spiritual and physical bond that spouses are to share. And Paul says, spoiler alert, it's ultimately about Christ and the church. Marriage and sex were created by God, for God, and to point us to God. It is a mini portrait of the gospel. And that part of what we can do in the church is to faithfully live that out to remind people who are married that they are living out a picture of it and that it is not the be all end all. Mm. Um, Yes. And there are ways that we need to be able to do that all together, um, that we all serve a point and a purpose. Um, you know, I think that's why Paul doesn't say everyone should be married or everyone should be single. It's right. If that's your calling, this is how you need to live it out. If this is your calling, this is how you need to live it out. Yes. Um, and if we could really get to that point, it would be so helpful because there are things that, that lifelong celibate Christians can teach to, straight married people. And there are things that about relationship and commitment and chasteness that single celibate people can learn from marriage and from watching families work together. Like none of us has the monopoly on understanding relationships and the love of Christ that we, we have to have it all working together in order to have that more full picture of Trinitarian love and commitment and yes and all of those things. And so that that has been a helpful part for me. Hmm. Um as That's I awesome. have continued now um recognizing I, I'm 41 years old now. And if you had told me at 24 that this is what I would be doing with my life, like spending <laughs> spending my ministry career talking to people about sex as a single person. Um, I, I would have laughed, um, because it's not at all how I would have imagined ministry going when in high school, I answered a call to full-time ministry. I was assuming, um, overseas missions, you know, I was, you know, that's what, when Blake and I met in the, the missions class where we went to Amsterdam, um, that, that was what I was doing. I mean, I was in seminary training to do overseas work and was just going to disappear off into <laughs> to central asia somewhere telling right. people about jesus wow and well, um, what you're doing is just as important i i think you no, know that but i want to affirm you that it is just as important what you are yeah, doing totally totally different um but very very valuable nonetheless so i i totally would have laughed at myself um because it's just not at all what i pictured but exactly what the lord knew i needed to be doing um yeah, and tell us it, more about that. You work at, at Revoice and yeah, tell us about your ministry that the Lord has given you now. Yeah. So what what I do now, um, I the shorthand I kind of give it is it we're the ministry I wish that had existed when I was in high school of having a group that breaks up that polarized notion of you either have to be um gay and affirming, Jesus loves you and your same sex partner. Um you're just, this is just one more way to show God's love in a, a different, more diverse manner. 
Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot from yes. affirming people. Um, and then the other message I always got was ex-gay ministry that God can make you straight. Mm. And those two options were all I ever heard. And wow. for a lot of people, that's all they still hear. Yes. Um, but within the last 15 years or so, um, there's been a much more vocal group of, of Christians who um, recognize a very old school and old school meaning like medieval understanding of spiritual friendship and connection and commitment um, looking at even biblical relationships like Ruth and Naomi and David and Jonathan, Jonathan and yes. Jesus and the apostle John of committed, connected, covenantal relationships that aren't sexual, mm. that are, we have pledged to be committed with one another of having deep spiritual understanding with one another um, and in the church today, especially that type of depth of relationship is really only talked about in a familial context. That's true. Um, and in scripture, that type of relationship is in a church context. It's mm-hmm. more of chosen family than just immediate nuclear family. The picture of Jesus on the cross um, willing his mother more or less to John yeah. is such a beautiful picture of how the body of Christ is supposed to come together. He doesn't tell his younger brothers, Hey, take care of mom. Mm-hmm. He tells one of his apostles to take care of his mom. Um, that we Good are point. supposed to be that chosen family for one another and to fill in those gaps when we don't have nuclear family to do those things for us. We're supposed to do that for one another through the church body. And so that is really the goal and the mission of Revoice is to help people understand that if you love Jesus and are committed to serving him and are committing to walk in those traditional ethics of sexual morality, um, your only options are not leave your conservatively theological church for a progressive or mainline denomination where it's affirming Mm. or pretend like you're straight. Right. And they're not very good options and they're exactly. not very biblical. <laughs> exactly. That you can honestly say, this is where I am. These are the attractions that I experience. I choose to be obedient to Christ. I believe that scripture is the inerrant word of God. I believe that the sexual ethic that we have passed down for 2000 years is correct. I I want to be a part of this church. And yet this is still the experience that I have Um, for churches to be able to say, how can we walk with you in that? Thank you for the testimony and the witness that you are to faithfulness. Um, That I have a friend who is um, a youth pastor in the PCA, which is a conservative Presbyterian denomination. And he is openly gay, has taken a vow of lifetime celibacy. He says, I do not believe that the Lord has called me to marry a woman. I believe that I am supposed to be single. Mm -hmm. um, And, and my orientation hasn't changed, but this is how I'm living my life. And when he tells the members of his youth, his youth group, um, parents are afraid that students are going to think, 
oh, he's just making being gay like an appealing <laughs> and attractive option for students. Oh my and goodness. What students say is you are one of the only Christians I've ever met who has actually given up something for Jesus. Mm. Um, for somebody who lives in a sex crazed culture to say, Jesus is worth more to me than my personal satisfaction. That says more to a Gen Z youth group member than just about anything else. I agree with that. When we have the opportunity to be able to say, you know, the Lord has taken away lust. He's healed broken relational patterns. He's done all of these things. And yet whatever, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Right. It's a similar sort of thing. I've asked and I've asked and I've asked, God, please take this away. And he hasn't. Mm -hmm. And like Paul, who didn't just sit down and go, well, if you're not going to take it away, I guess, you know, I'll never be able to effectively serve you because this thing is just not going away. That I can say, I've asked you to take it away and you haven't. And I'm going to serve you through it and with it and because of it. And if you've not taken it away, it's something that must be for my good. And that feels still almost heretical to say, <laughs> I know. But, what you mean. but in that context of that, this is something that I think makes my faith and my walk, it could be harder. I also know that it's something that the Lord uses to draw me to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need more than anything is I need to remember that I am dependent on him. And that tends to be the thing that he uses most often to remind me of that. Mm. Um, Because that's just an easy way to quickly fall away is relational patterns. Um, And we see that in, in just the church in general of, you know, people's ministries being torn apart because of affairs and, yeah, and other things that being able to say, I recognize that this is my weakness and I'm going to continually submit it to you so that I am dependent upon you to remain faithful. Yes. Um, I, I wrote in an article a couple of years ago that it would be a cruel thing for him to do at this point. If I woke up one morning and was like, yep, attracted to men. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, Cause I, I would think that I could totally just do it on my own now. Mm, that's true. You know, I mean, I would, I would be so easily self-sufficient. I'd be like, all right, I can finally just do this thing like everybody else does. Mm. Um, and that's not the kind of relationship with the Lord that I want to have. Um, I, I want to be dependent on him and I want yes. to, to know that I can't do it on my own. And, and this is the particular thing that he uses to remind me of that. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I don't know that I would say I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad I'm attracted to the same sex um, because it's hard. I know what you mean. I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's hard, but th- this is the thing that I have and the thing that I have to work with. And God has been faithful through it. back to that idea of just of taking thoughts captive and making them obedient of like when I finally said, okay, you know, Lord, I have, I've done this with my life. I have tried to do things my own way. I've tried to figure out how to have it all. And little 
parts of Bible verses is what the Holy Spirit would bring to mind as I was struggling with things and and working through those initial I am going to die if you ask me to give this up kind mm. of feelings mm. um, when when God is giving the Israelites um, the Ten Commandments and he's he he's got this whole kind of speech that he gives them. But the main gist of it is he ends it with I'm giving it to you this day for your own good because I love you. Mm. And and that was the initial thing that really stuck with me when I first started trying to figure out why can I not make all of this work, Lord? <laughs> and it was mm. my way is for your own good because mm. I love you. Yeah. And and me thinking I knew what was best for me and, and having that put back in my heart and just echoing in my mind that the Holy Spirit would bring it back up his way. My good. It is for my good. It is for my good. Um, mm, even when it didn't yes. feel like it to have that truth, to say, this is for my good on the other side of this battle, I will be better because of this. Um, and the idea that his love is better than life out of the Psalms mm. that mm. his love is better than anything in this life. Um, yes. I, I've tried X, Y, and Z. I've done these things. I've tried to find happiness. His love is better than any type of love that you might find in a human relationship. Mm. Um, yeah. It's better. it feels like you might be dying inside. And that's the hard thing, especially with people in their twenties um, that have mm. grown up in church of watching all their straight friends finish up their last semester of college and get married and go do the thing that at 22, 23, looking at it and going, I am never going to have that. I have 80 years of life ahead of me, maybe. And mm. I'm going to be alone. Hmm. that mm -hmm. feeling is overwhelming sure. and you feel like I am going to die. God cannot ask me to live like this, hmm. that if we had a, a robust church that people who have committed to celibacy because they are same sex attracted or have committed to a person of the opposite sex and are stewarding their relationship in an opposite sex marriage, to be able to openly say, I still experience this, but this mm -hmm. is how I am faithfully stewarding my sexuality, either in celibacy or in opposite sex marriage. Those 22 and 23 year old kids can see it's not a life of loneliness and depression right. that I see that single person who's been adopted by a married family as the honorary aunt or uncle. And I see that they have full lives with kids around them and that they're getting to have this impact and they're pouring into other people's lives. Or I see that, that guy who just like, a, I mean, straight people, we make it sound like you get married and that's it. Right. There, there's no attraction or lust for other people. It's just, there are plenty of people who are straight who have married and then gone, golly, that was a mistake. <laughs> right. Right. But absolutely. they still work through those years of faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness to one another in that covenant commitment that they've made. Mm. And 
people who are gay and in an opposite sex marriage do the exact same, same thing. thing. Mm. I am attracted to these other people, but I made a covenant vow that forsaking all others, I am yours. Mm. Amen. That yeah. it's the same. It's the same covenant and the same agreement. <laughs> the the yes. object of your attraction is not the question. It's the, the commitment you have to the covenant you've made to the Lord and to this other person. Um, yeah. And so looking at it like that, to be able to say it's a heavy commitment, but it's no heavier than the commitment that the Lord asks anybody else to make. It's just that we don't necessarily take those commitments very seriously either anymore. Right. Oh yeah. Um, totally agree. Putting it all kind of on the same, on the same level playing field to recognize that this is something we all need to be doing together. Um, and that we may be doing it from different perspectives, but it's still, God has asked us to walk the same ethic. Mm -hmm. We just need to help one another do that from yes. whatever perspective we may be coming from. As always, thank you for listening to my podcast. I welcome feedback and questions. You can send me a Facebook message or you can email me at blamibo.go at hushmail.com. That's B-L-A-M-I-B-O dot G-O at hushmail.com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you.